This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, we have Tyler Knott Gregson, a poet. He chats with us about the creativity and passion behind his work. He also breaks down stigmas surrounding people on the autism spectrum. In case you missed it, Ryan highlights a strange art project on Twitch and a stark reminder of how COVID-19 can impact young people. Tech expert and DIYer Andy Barrar has some advice on barbecuing this summer, plus setting up your own backyard entertainment system where you can get some music, some TV, and more. Plus, are you okay with Ted Nugent having an issue with COVID-1 and 2 and 3 and all the way up to COVID-18. He also has an issue with COVID-19. It's all available for you on the Shift Daily Podcast. You come with a temperature and a quality of light. You are the dusk light, the spilling of sunset and the blue hour that stains the rest. You are the first cool minutes at the tail end of a summer day, the breeze that carries it and the way it softens the edges of the heat. And how many lifetimes have I loved you? So that is a piece from Tyler Not Gregson. Um, he's not Canadian. He's our first not Canadian <laughs> poet that we're going to talk to here. Although he's almost Canadian. Tyler, you're in, uh, are you still in Montana? I am in Montana. You're like in yeah, our basement. Six inches of snow. Yeah, I'm right below you. I'm, I'm honorary Canadian. Yeah, well, you have snow um, the day that we, we chat do. about this, and we don't. So that says, if nothing says Canadian like that, eh? Exactly. <laughs> and I haven't slapped anyone yet for the snow, so I'm halfway towards your level of politeness. There you go. That's halfway. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler Knott Gregson is, uh, is a poet, and um, uh, there's so many places we can go in this conversation, Tyler. Uh, I just want to thank you for coming on and having this conversation about creation. I used to always be like, hey, isn't it funny how so many poets like to take pictures on the side to make ends meet? And then I started to realize a pattern and thought, huh, as I looked at it, not from this sort of judgy <laughs> job linear work <laughs> perspective, I started to realize um, that those photos that you take are particularly uh, poetic as well in that you are still capturing an image much like you do in poetry. So let's just start maybe there and maybe introduce yourself and, and, and what it is that you love to do. Sure. Yeah. Uh, like you said, I'm Tyler, not Gregson, uh, honorary Canadian for the day. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'll take it. And uh, you you actually hit the nail on the head there. It, for me, the photography and the poetry, I can't imagine one without the other. And it's always been that way. And I think the way my brain sees the world, sometimes depending on my headspace for the day. And it is, it is world autism awareness month and week. And that's a huge part of things for me is depending on my, my headspace that day, it kind of dictates whether or not it's going to be a photograph or a set of words that kind of tries to explain the way I'm seeing the world. And so for me, poetry is if I can't figure out a photograph to explain it, I have to invent it with words. And if I can't figure out the right words for it, more often than not, I try to do it with a photograph and they're all aiming at the same goal. It's just trying to show, I guess, that fleeting moment of time, what it was, how I was feeling and the way that I was processing things. Is it kind of like letting air out of your brain balloon? That's exactly, that is the perfect way of saying it. I always called it a pressure release valve. I feel like, I don't know, I'm just such a like platypus sometimes where it's, I feel like I'm just made of all these wrong parts stuck together. And if I didn't have writing and I didn't have photography, it would, my brain would explode. And so the writing and the photography are just ways to just really slowly let out some air before it becomes catastrophic. Hmm. Um, I, we've done a lot of work uh, here on belonging and uh, how I, in my writing, the the word belong is one of the most important fundamental foundational words both in linear life plus you know this soul-filled connective life that we often talk about uh is that part of the pressure release when you say you're a platypus that you know that there's a sense of belonging has been part of the journey for you you know what's kind of strange with that is that might be the one element to me that i i lose sight of the most and i think part of it is 
where I live in Montana is pretty isolated. I mean, even as far as Montana towns go, we have the capital, but that's about it. And, you know, we're not a tourist destination. People don't come here on purpose most often. And so there has been this weird you just get lost. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, I was looking for Bozeman, but I went too far. <laughs> but I think that that sense of that, one of the things I lose sight of the most is just I forget that my words have a, a landing place that's far outside of my own sometimes. And so what I've, I the where I feel the luckiest is that this strange community that has popped up over the last decade of people that have read my words and found my words it does provide a weird sense of belonging that I actually really never saw coming because for me, once that pressure has been relieved, I think I just, that's the end of it. And I forget that there is a life sometimes beyond what I did or what I wrote or what I said. And seeing that has been pretty revelatory actually. And I don't know, very humbling. Well, there's a lot, a lot of, I spent some time on the word legacy. And for me, uh, old way of thinking was, you know, legacy is my name on a library, right? Like I needed a million dollars to have legacy. Yeah. And, uh, that was a pretty natural way to be for me. And I, um, and I, I've very quickly discovered that that legacy is so much more. I mean, you've got these books out. Do you ever look at that and say, you know, these books will live on forever. There will be a day that these books are around and I am not. That's actually, that's a strange and hard thing for me to wrap my brain around. Sometimes I, I never intended on any of this. Um, I've been writing poetry since I was probably, God, eight or nine years old. And it, it it's always been the same thing for me. It's always just been that pressure release. And I kind of stumbled and fell head over foot into this whole thing. And I, I mean, I never intended on a single book, let alone six, I think now. And so I, I get confused by that sometimes and it it's overwhelming. And so I, my way of dealing with overwhelming things is I just, pretend it's not there yeah. <laughs> and I just ignore it yeah I, I don't know I always thought sometimes with, I use my a bottle legacy, of whiskey I mean so in all fairness oh, yours you is go. probably healthier <laughs> well I don't know I bet they both come back sooner or later <laughs> but yeah for me legacy has always just been I don't know I always figured if somebody looked back and just said he did the best he could with what he had that'll be a legacy for me and that's that that's my only hope it's really all you can do tell us about um Tell us about why uh, the autism awareness matters to you, because um, our audience is hearing, and I'm going to speak to this from the from the lens of stereotypes and, and unknown, is that the audience is hearing this well-spoken man who is on an interview on a, on a radio show in Canada who's down in Montana. They have no idea what goes on for you uh, in Not a normal sure. day. So what's the impact of that and why does it matter to you? Can you share? I think the awareness is the most important thing. Um, my, my buddy, Ash, who actually lives way over in Wales, and he's also on the autism spectrum. We just had a, a little Instagram live the other day, and we spoke about this. And I think there's two halves of the battle. There's awareness and there's acceptance, and you can't have one without the other. And I think I saw this cartoon yesterday that really summed it up in a way that I had never thought to, but it made just such perfect sense. Everybody thinks, like you said, linearly when it comes to autism and they think, oh, he either has more autism or less autism. Right. If this guy is able to be on a radio show, he must have less autism. And in reality, the cartoon described it as more of a soup. And, you know, there's all these different ingredients that can make up your particular autism soup. And for me, weirdly, I actually do really well with public speaking. It doesn't bother me at all. I can get up at book signings in front of five or 600 people and it, it doesn't even phase me. But then small things can completely undo me. You know, if, if the boarding of my airplane is off by 10 minutes, I have a little mini meltdown and I have to figure out ways to get through that. And I think that's all part of that soup. And for me, that's also part of what has been so wonderful about this sense of belonging is that there is a broader scope now, I think. And if I'm helping do that in any way with the autism speaking and, and talking about it more often, I'm thrilled for that because it's, I think it's so important. What do we, uh, or people that have never been around an autistic person, and I even struggle with that because that's a box, right? But a person who lives with autism, I feel like that's more free. Um, a person who lives with autism um, because it is so wide from non-communicative, uh, no eye contact. And then they've mm -hmm. taken and they've taken other diagnosis like Asperger's and stuff like that and sort of thrown it out of the Asperger's diagnosis onto the spectrum scale. What do we miss uh, those who, who don't 
know about it because I have a sneaking suspicion more of us would fall into that spectrum than sure. we realize. Yeah, I think those tendencies place a lot more people. And I think that might be even part of re- the reason the diagnoses have gone up over the last couple of decades. I think that a lot of us probably have tendencies that put us somewhere on the spectrum. And I think what's been happening for years is this idea that it is a scale. It's a sliding scale from one to a thousand. And it isn't that at all. I mean, you can have some of these things where you know, disruption of routine really un- unravels you, or you can be really good at that and you can be the most spontaneous person ever. And it can be, you know, something as small as a handshake that undoes you. It's just all different for every single different person. And I think the thing that I wish everybody would understand is that there's nothing scary about asking questions to a, a person who's living with autism. We are, I mean, for the most part, all we want is just to be understood like we're trying to understand. And I think that's all anybody wants. And so these strange stigma that get kind of passed down over the years really create a pretty big wrinkle in that when it's we're all looking for the same things. We all want to be understood. We all want to be loved and taken care of. And some of us just sound a little bit different. Thank you for that. I imagine what you've just created for me, this image in my mind was um, not a, like a linear rope and more yeah. of a... Of a, of a circle and for some reason to me it kind of like sunburst kind of comes to mind and i don't know why that word comes to my mind but i don't feel like it's this again this linear circle i imagine it sort of this this sort of round three-dimensional yeah light like different pieces that shine differently in different places i, I guess. love that yeah that's kind I of love how it that visual came to me okay so your writing um i'm gonna say thank you very much because uh, the typewriter series. I like your haiku stuff too. Um, but there are poems that I have sat and read with Melanie, uh, that we've in some of our favorite times that we've ever enjoyed. And you have provided us with that. Oh my goodness. Well, that's the loftiest praise I can think of. Thank you very much. Uh, I love it. And it has created, um, I hope you're good with compliments because here they come. Um, <laughs> because what I'm it's not at all, it's, but it's created a space of freedom to communicate how we feel and see each other. And that, um, that like it's, it's, it's leading by example. And you've done that for me specifically in my relationship with her. So that is a gift that you gave us. Wow. So <laughs> the irony is I'm not going to, I could ask you a different question though, is that, <laughs> you will write about a woman. Yes. And I have said the way that Tyler writes about this woman, because I'm going to let you introduce that, um, makes me, I want to meet this person. I got to meet this the, person someday because yeah. this, I, I need to meet this person that affects this dude to a point where he uh, crafts all this. So how does it affect you in your world every day? Um, and uh, And tell us a little bit about Maybe that that muse, if you will. Sure. The, I mean that the fact that you just said that that means I'm about halfway there. Then I, that's the way I always look at it. And uh, the the thing you just said that meant the most to me was that it opens that space because I think what I've always been really bummed out about is that there's this archaic idea that men have to keep everything really close to their chest and that you know, it's not masculine or it's not, you know, manly to speak out about being crazy about some woman or some man or whoever it is that you love. And that, you know, these things you keep close to the chest and you almost use them like bartering chips, you know, you can't give them all away. And for me, and maybe this is partially part of my weird autism soup, but for me, if I feel it, I have to say it. And if I don't say it, it, it burns me up from the inside. And so this person that I'm writing about, my wife, Sarah, like, I don't even feel I, I've even scratched the surface on what I'm trying to say about her or the ways that I'm trying to say it. And so I just keep trying and I've never followed the whole prescription that, you know, you need to keep things as a, any kind of a public figure. You have to keep that kind of stuff, a mystery. You know, I know that they make singers sometimes pretend that they're single, you know, long into their career. And I even had publicists at the beginning of this say, you know, I think that if you, if you kind of led these women that are reading your poetry to believe that you're this accessible single person, maybe you'd have more book sales. And, you know, with all due respect, I chose some four letter words to 
say to them about how that will never happen, (laughs) which is where I lose my honorary Canadian membership. (laughs) But, (laughs) but yeah, I think that's what it always has been is every time I write something about her, it's both a discovery because I think I learn something new every day. And on top of that, it's just, it's there in my brain and I have to get it out of there because there's, I need to make room for more. And so I don't have any shame in, in saying that she is the inspiration behind so many of these words and she deserves to be. And I think everybody deserves to be that to somebody. Tyler, not Gregson. Um, you do have the new audio book and stuff coming out. Um, I just search, you know, Tyler Gregson, Tyler, not Gregson, whatever you're going to find typewriter series is one of my favorite ones. Um, so t- tell us what's coming up for you so we can shamelessly at least promote um, the books and the photos. Yeah, I um, I have a book out that just came out on last Tuesday. It's called Illumination. And it's a special book for me because in response to the year that we've all been through, I think that I've seen more people and I've heard from more people lower than they've ever been. And so this book is a way to kind of offer a little bit of light and a little bit of a hand for anybody who needs a reminder that there is something bigger and a hell of a lot more beautiful out there. And you just have to hold on a little bit longer. And I think we can all get there. Um, Other than that, I think my favorite thing I've been doing over this past pandemic year is I started this daily meditation thing and it's up on my little website. And basically every day for free, I just send out these daily meditations. And then it's just, a like I said, it's a bigger, longer form reminder about your connection to this this big planet. And so that's been my favorite thing. I think I'm able to write there in a way that social media just doesn't really have the time or space for. And I've just, I've fallen in love with it. I call it prose a tree because it's a mixture. Um, one of the coolest things that we see uh, is society in general taking, although some of them are cliche quotes and posting them on their social media all the time, but people are listening and I'm trying to find the positivity in that. And so if you do like the quotes and you find yourself sharing quotes and stuff, my suggestion to you and my invitation is to check out Tyler's stuff because there is an awful lot of good daily reminders that aren't just unknown, uh, copied from somewhere in some GIF or meme online and to check it exactly. out. Tyler, thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Rob. Oh, man. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. I believe in love at first sight, but I will always believe that the people we love, we have loved before. Many, many, many times before. And when we stumble through grace and circumstance and that brilliant illusion of choice, to finally meet them again, we feel it faster each time through. The one glance that set life alight is two sets of two eyes staring through the layers of lifetimes and stolen glances and first kisses and hands held. The brace against the weight and unrelenting tide of waiting. I believe in love at first sight, but I'm not burdened with the misconception that it's a first sight at all. This is the Shift Podcast. In case you missed it on the radio, here's right. Typo, are you there? The Donald. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Wrong one. Oh, there we go. <laughs> well, I think they both work. Typo yeah. is here. That. Typo is here, my friends. Typo, and... are you there? That was so good. We got a text <laughs> message earlier that even said, can Ryan even spell Oilers? I can spell Oilers. Oh, Don't ask me to, but I can. <laughs> and that typo are you there came courtesy of Doug in Vancouver. Yes. Who else, yes. Who else asked how your date went on the weekend? Yeah, Doug, yeah. I was, I've was. i got a couple of texts I want to start with here with in case you missed it. So Doug, great, great uh, date weekend. The main highlight, though, was Laura got a puppy and I got to meet puppy. And I love this dog Aww. with every inch of my heart. If anything happened to her, I would go all John Wick on them. I I will defend that dog more than my own rights as a human being. I love that dog. Just I've never had a sweaters. dog before. It's very, no, no, no. Just, you know, it has to have that beautiful golden retriever coat, you know, of just soft puppy fur. I also get the whole puppy smell thing now. 
I get it. People were like, the puppy's going to smell amazing. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? It's a dog. And it does. It's, I don't, I can't really describe it, but it smells like great. It smells like a puppy. It's the weirdest thing ever. So as someone who's never been around a puppy before, it was a really great date weekend. Also, I got to see Laura. <laughs> so, yes, also. Yes. How, how was your date? I saw life. a dog. Oh, yeah. And my I girlfriend. Saw a dog. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, and another text. This comes in from Glenn. This text is specifically for Ryan in regards to Zack Snyder's Justice League, the cut of the movie, which was destroyed by Joss Whedon. Finally, we got the updated one, the original cut. He says, Ryan, I realize this comes almost a month since you discussed it on the show, and I've been waiting to tell you, but you were away last week on the days I was working. However, you are the one that I thought of specifically when I wanted to make this comment. Zack Snyder's Justice League is now my favorite superhero movie. Heck yeah, Glenn. I love to hear it. Marvel Universe stole my heart for my passion for Batman versus Superman, but Zack gave it right back. I love it. Yes, it is better than Infinity War and Endgame. I'm with you, Glenn. I love it. I'm very happy to hear that you enjoyed it. So, yeah. And uh, Steve on the dog. Man, so many great texts. Wait till it chews on the shoes or the couch or your jacket. Oh, I moved the shoes to the top, top, top shelf. I wore clothing that I didn't care about, and it did chew on the couch a little bit. So, yeah. When I got a puppy... My puppy mm-hmm. ate the back of the couch. Mm-hmm. My puppy ate the insulation out of the walls to the point where she had like <laughs> fiberglass tears for a few weeks. It was nasty. We were so afraid she was going to get sick. She ate um, pop cans and my jock strap for my hockey. Oh, my hockey bag. So good luck with that. Enjoy your puppy. Yeah, a lot of work, man. I didn't. It's it's like insane all amounts of work, but it's worth it because they're just so pure and lovely. Oh, I love that dog. So the dog's name is Cora, by the way, which is inspired by a TV show called The Legend of Cora. So I will keep you up to date on everything to do with this se- uh, going on seven week old golden retriever, whom I love very much. Now, let's get into some stories because this one. Oh man, let's uh, I want to set the mood. I love doing this when I can, when I can get you into the headspace of these people that I like to talk about. And in case you missed it, so Matt, I've got some music here. If you could just play it softly in the background as I just try to set the mood, art it pushes us as human beings to be more, it expands our ideas of what life can really be. We see it through visual mediums, poetry, like Tyler Knock Gregson just showed us moments ago. It's beautiful, and it pushes boundaries. But sometimes art is really, 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 really stupid. More so, people do really, really, really stupid things to try to seem artistic. And this guy is very, very committed to that kind of art. His name is Tim. Tim Inzano. He has spent the first 100 days of this year locked in a shed in his backyard, live streaming himself 24-7. He plans to stay in the shed for the entire year as part of an art stunt to promote a very unique offer. For the right price, he says he will lock himself in that empty shed for five to ten years and fill it with art that he paints how much does it cost oh by the way sorry being live streamed the whole time how much Mm -hmm. any guesses how how much money it would take to convince someone to stay in a shed for ten years yeah Uh, never enough to make nothing Mm -hmm. but art for years you'd go crazy I you'd make a lot of art you'd have nothing else to do (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, no, 20 bucks. No, well, yeah, maybe uh, for him. So if you want him to be there for five years, $5 million. Is this the price? Is this the price is right? Because I'm going 21 if that's the case. 21. Okay, 21. All right. Nice. Well, you nice. did win because the highest bid is actually $10 million oh, for 10 wow. years. He says he will remain in that room for 10 years. Okay. So he made a <laughs> big time. 
He actually made a very weird TikTok explaining this whole process. So here's some more information from the man himself. Why would you do that, bro? I'm doing this year-long stream attempt to promote the sale of my life as wall art, where I'm locked in a prison cell studio and dozens of cameras cinematically broadcast live only to a framed monitor on the buyer's wall. <sighs> Twenty five-year frames are available at five million dollars each. I enter the studio with empty walls and fill them with hundreds of my signature laser-cut layered sculptures. All go to the buyer. Bro, I'm not gonna lie, that actually sounds pretty sick. In like a really stupid kind of way, you know? <laughs> what the? <laughs> At least he's somewhat aware. I, I have some more information that makes this even weirder, though. So if you from 8 to 10 p.m. Uh, Pacific time, you can watch him as he sits at his computer and he'll host Q&As. Or you can watch him whenever you want, just eating or sleeping, Thrilling. meditating. He also does solo dance parties, which are virtually DJed from someone who watches his stream and thought it was interesting. So he starts DJing for him. The shed is in his parents' backyard. Oh boy, convenient. He has a fiance. Not this man long. is engaged, and apparently she's very supportive. And she like drops food off for him through a window. So she's going to sit shed. around for ten years for her fiance to come out of the shed. So so here's my question. Is this a very elaborate scheme to get 10 million, 15 million dollars in your, you know, in your pocket so you're kind of set for, you know, a good 20 years, 50, you know, or longer? Or is this just really dumb for the point of being artistic? Oh, uh, I mean, I think I would rather risk robbing a bank and then, you know, if I pull off the job then I have five to ten million dollars. If I don't pull off the job, I'll be going to jail, and I can maybe make all the art I want in there. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole, yeah, that's a much faster, uh, much faster way to do it. Anyway, very, uh, very original. Um, very, it, it's very original. He says he wants to push the boundaries of what live streaming can be. Uh, I just feel like I don't know. Like even if you got that much money. Would it be worth literally 15 years, up to 15 years of your life inside of a box? I don't know. Out of your own choice? That's kind of mind-blowing nope. to me. I think this is the worst time for him to do this. I think everyone's <laughs> going to be too streamed out. <laughs> yeah. There's more fun things to watch on live streams. And trust me, when we get a shift live stream going where you can see our faces during the show, it's going to be far more entertaining than watching this guy do a solo dance party while he laser etches a car on a frame for $10 million. So the internet undefeated as always. Well, someone will pay. Someone will do. I'm curious. I'm curious, but wouldn't you feel guilty? I'm going to spend $10 million and force you to stay inside. That that's a weird power that I would not want to have. That's mm. kind of creepy. <laughs> that's a good perspective. It's interesting. Yeah. 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 That's kind of weird. Yeah. yeah. So, let, let's go to something that we can actually relate to that's not completely insane. One Canadian who has been uh, on social media since Vine, uh, you know, which was that six seconds little comedy videos, kind of the, you know, prototype version of TikTok. He, he's been doing a wonderful job describing the relationship between Canada's provinces and territories on TikTok. Good morning. I'm Ryan O'Donnell with today's TikTok, TikTok, TikTok breakdown. Yes, let's break it down. His name is Kopke613. You might recognize his face. This guy's been doing uh, funny stuff online for a long time, and he is Canadian and he lives into the stereotype. I mean, his merch has a Canada geese on it that says, Beware the Cobra Chicken, and it's got a knife in its beak. Uh, you know, he's got merch that has, you know, Canadian swear words and terms all over it. And he he loves Canada and he loves to make fun of it. I love to make fun of us, too. Not like dumb stuff we do, but just like silly stereotypes of each province. And it's fun to poke fun at it. Right. And he does a great job of it here. So this is a series he created where it's essentially the idea is all of Canada is living in a house together, roommates, right? And, well, Alberta 
decides to call a roommate's meeting. <clears throat> okay, so I've called this meeting so that we can go over some very important... Hey, minute. Uh, how come you called the meeting? Why can't I call it? Because I've got the oil, I make the most money, I call the meeting. Yeah, so I make all the maple syrup that you English kids put on your pancakes. Okay. Ontario, what do you think about this? You see, I actually thought I was the only person who lived here, bud. Yo, does anyone here have an extra smoke? Or... Saw, dude. I, I got some smoke. Shit, I f*** with that. Okay, no, no, no smoking at the roommate's meeting. Bonin. <coughs> Javid. Oh, hey, yeah, uh, Nova Scotia here. I got a question if that's all right. Okay, I'm gonna be honest. Forgot you even lived here. Oh, it must be nice, eh? I gotta share a bunk bed with the guy. You're... You're just the same f***ing person. Hey, do any of you guys want some potatoes? Shut, Shut the, the f*** up! up. <laughs> <laughs> P.E.I., I do want some potatoes. Send yeah. them over. They're good. That's it. it is kind of, I mean, I realize it's sharp, but it really is kind of true, isn't it? Oh, well, if you, if you, if you got like, you know, a hoser type Canadian, you know, all bud from each of the provinces and they all lived in a house together, that's what it would be like. Mm -hmm. It's just, it just would be, <laughs> you can't tell me it wouldn't be. It didn't matter their, their, you know, how long they lived in Canada or anything. That's what it would be like. All right there, bud. Oh yeah, right bud. There, bud. Right there, bud. I do, I do find it pretty funny that I had to bleep a good quarter of that entire thing, including that very long French line where I didn't know where the swear words started and ended. <laughs> it was a lot. Yes, it was very well I done, mean, Ryan. I, I, um, there was a lot when, I, when we talked about that one. I was like, this is going to take some work, but I think it's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, a cheeky bleep of our country, and I love it. Uh, let's do. We got time for this. I, I'm going to end on a little bit more of a serious note, but with everything we've talked about today on COVID cases and frustration, I want to speak to people my age. I am 24 years old, and it's no secret that right now the people who are getting COVID the most are my age. We are the ones who are spreading the virus more frequently because we are the ones who are more fed up with the not so much the restrictions themselves, but, you know, the lack of freedom and, you know, people are flouting the rules. I listened to this story and it kind of reminded me of why I need to take this seriously. So I hope that if there is anyone else listening at my age, hears the story and maybe goes next time before you think of going out to a party or going out to an indoor gathering, just stopping for a second and going, maybe not. So this guy, he's 22 years old. He is urging my demographic to change their entire perspective on the virus after he got one of the variants and he was not okay. Here's more from Global News. It hit me. It hit me very hard. As a healthy 22-year-old, Peter Solomon thought he'd be fine if he contracted COVID-19. I was always like, you know what, mom, like, even if I get it, like, I just don't want to give it to you guys because you guys are at risk. I'll be okay. But that wasn't the case. Solomon and both his parents caught the B117 variant after his father was a close contact of someone he worked with. What Solomon thought would be the usual flu symptoms turned out to be much worse. My body felt like it was running a marathon every day. Before you know it, oxygen levels were dropping at a very, very bad rate. Solomon and his parents were all admitted to St. Boniface Hospital. He stayed for nine days, hooked up to an IV, and given oxygen immediately upon arrival. I wish, you know, like, at least there's some kind of explanation of, you know, I have a heart condition, I have something, I have a disease, or I have something that plays a big factor in this, but, but I don't. As for how bad his case was, one doctor said he was in worse condition than the 84-year-old COVID-19 patient in the room next door. He had given me the information, kind of told me, there's a 84-year-old woman, she's with the COVID-19, but the original strain, we hope that you get better, but like you're doing 20 times worse than her, so I'm just not sure. Now he wants everyone to know COVID-19 doesn't care how old you are. People should really change the perspective that being young is some kind of a free pass here. It really isn't. Anya Nazaravich, Global News. Pretty grounding. Mm -hmm. 
Listen loud and clear, my friends. It's the Shift Podcast. It is time for us to check in on the West Coast. A little DIY with Disco Andy. <laughs> Andy Ooh, funky. Yeah, I like that. Hey, okay. little uh, little funk there going on. Love that. What is that? Got to be funky. Oh, that is the uh, electronic duo Daft Punk. Uh, Handy Andy Barrar and HandyAndyMedia.com uh, is the place to go and get in touch with Andy Barrar. How are you, Andy? I'm good. I'm good. How are you, Shane? Oh, it's a it's a fantastic day today. Um, I got out for a little walk before the show, which was nice. Felt a little bit more springy in the evening, which is pretty good because I'm starting to think, get outside, enjoy the sunshine, and uh, and start to do some fun things. So, what do you have on your um, on your table saw, on your workbench for us tonight? Well, you know, it is spring and the the weather's getting better. And I know a lot of people have got their barbecues that have probably been sitting around all winter. And now's the time to to kind of get that grill all cleaned up. So I thought we'd talk a little bit from the start, all things about barbecuing. And just to really help the beginners out there who maybe are just getting new to a barbecue or they don't have much experience, maybe we can help share that wisdom down to... um make sure that they can become grill masters like the rest of us. I like that. Uh, just to be clear, if you're truly a Canadian, Andy, you your barbecue does not need to be dusted off. It's been being used all winter long in shorts and flip-flops. Canada rules. I didn't make them up. Maybe I did. Anyway. That's that's work. true. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Do you, do you clean your barbecue, like do it a deep clean before, you know, the spring when you start to really use it a lot? Define clean. So that's probably a no, because I just said define clean. Define clean. What do you mean by clean? Well, I don't think a lot of people do this, but what you really need to do is take your entire barbecue apart. So you take all the grills off and you got to clean everything from like top to bottom. And the best way that I have found to do that, because it's a lot of work, it's dirty, but the best way that I found, and I just did it a couple days ago, is to use a pressure washer. You take your barbecue apart, you put it in the driveway, and you just pull out the pressure washer and just give her. I guarantee your barbecue will look as good as new once you've, once you've done that. Even everything from the grill to the inside and outside. It is just the best, fastest, and most efficient way to clean your barbecue. Really? Well, I have never done that. I've had this barbecue for a very long time. This was a way too expensive of a barbecue that I could not afford to get at the time, but it has 10 burners total. Uh, wow. when you include, when you include like the rotisserie burners and all the fancy fancy. And, uh, it has been the most dynamite of a machine I've had for barbecuing. It is reliable searing burners, the, the bee's knees of all the things. I've never, is it a Weber? What, it what, what, what brand I is it? So. I don't know. I'd have to hang on a second. You keep talking then. <laughs> okay. I'll keep talking while you go and check your, your barbecue. Now, there's another thing, um, out there that a lot of people, confuse barbecuing and grilling and they don't actually know what the difference is and so when you're barbecuing food basically is being cooked at a slow circumvented unit of hot air so basically the lids closed and that warm air is cooking your food now that's typical for large bone-in cuts like ribs briskets and pork shoulders now what we mostly consider as barbecuing is actually just grilling and that's when you're basically food is cooked directly with a high temperature heat on the bottom and the grill and the, the lid is open. So if you're cooking steaks, hamburgers, hot dogs, boneless chicken breasts, you're grilling. So it's, it's, it's confusing because we think of barbecuing as a social event, but we're actually technically grilling for the most part when we invite our friends over for burgers. Weber. Weber. I knew it. I knew it. Yeah. I don't have right. a Weber. It's been Weber. Actually, the guy who created the first Weber, I think it was in like the 30s or 40s. And that actually started the whole craze of barbecuing, because before that, the only time you were grilling food was when you're like camping over a fire. But the whole phenomenon of barbecuing actually started uh, just after World War Two, um, when people were moving into the suburbs. That's when the, the, the first propane style barbecues hit the market. And uh, it's changed society ever since, especially in North America. I don't know if they barbecue in Europe 
uh, very much or not. But I know it's very no popular idea. over here. They do they? Oh, the picnics. There's, there's nothing better. Like I don't know to be honest, but there's nothing better than briquettes and a picnic, like a hibachi grill with some briquettes and you know some hamburgers and hot dogs and you know snacking all day while you're drinking beers and cooking. I mean that's that's the best way to go, man. That's the whole reason why they should legalize alcohol in parks. Just for that, right? I, I agree. I, and they are—they're starting to. I know here in Metro Vancouver, they're starting to allow you to bring your own beverages yeah. to parks, which is about and they time. Just, they just tabled it in Calgary. A uh, 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 councillor had just just tabled it. Now, I mean, within reason. I mean, really, everyone's kind of doing it anyway. Don't tell anybody, right? Oh, There's God. a lot of countries in the world where you can walk in with a beer into the into the you know this the mall. Yeah, everything's fine. Yeah, it, it's always weird when I'm in Las Vegas and you can do that. It's kind of like walk around with your beverage wherever you go. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, another thing, uh, quickly, Shane, when you are using your barbecue, do you turn the tank off on the bottom all the time when you stop using it right at the propane tank? Uh, yeah, I, we have uh, propane at Melanie's. Uh, this one's natural gas. But yes, to your point, I still always turn off the valve at the house for the natural gas and I always turn off the tank. That's good because a lot of people don't realize that you're supposed to do that. And I've learned the hard way because, as you know, I have this Airbnb suite and it comes with a barbecue. And people, I am so disappointed in people. They just do not have good barbecue habits. Like they don't, nope. they don't clean it after, you know, you've, you've finished, used it. They don't turn the tanks off. Some people don't even turn the burners off. And it's yeah. just like wasting propane. It just drives me nuts. Like. <laughs> they, they should teach this in school, like, you know, barbecue 101, how to turn on a barbecue. I just wrote an article about this, you know, uh, shocked at, at how much variance there is and how people use barbecues. I, um, I, I also have, like everybody, I'm sure, I hope, left the, uh, you know, left the barbecue on, too, when you're done with it and yeah. gone to bed at night and gone... Why does that smell so hot out there? Like it wasn't on hot, 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 but even with all six of the burners on low, it gets pretty warm in the barbecue and gone to bed. And my bedroom is actually, there's a, there's, there's a deck here and my bedroom window is over the deck. So I can, I, I would, I smell it. So I, I guess I'm one of those bad etiquette people because I also have forgotten to turn it off. So, uh, you know, another don't thing. Look at me. Another thing is assessing the temperature of your grill because a lot of the barbecues, especially the newer ones, they have that little display on the front of the lid, the, the temperature um, thermometer. That mm -hmm. is really, really inaccurate. It's off by about 50 degrees Fahrenheit because heat obviously rises. So you're not really getting the actual measurement of what it is at the grill. So I highly, highly encourage people not to use that at, to determine if your barbecue has been preheated and typically you just got to preheat it for about 10 to 15 minutes. Some people only do it for about five, but you want to make sure that that grill is super hot before you start cooking on it. And you could always use the hand test as well. I don't know if you're familiar with that chain, uh, uh, the hand test. Uh, Have you tried it? Put your hand on the grill. Well, <laughs> don't do not that. Necessarily. This is not good advice. People will listen. They will hear Andy Barrar said, put my hand on the grill. Psh, that's why we no. have those do not eat silica packs in shoes because somebody listened. No, you're supposed to put your hand about three inches over the grill. And if, if you have to take your hand away after about two seconds, that means you probably are on high heat. So around 450 degrees. Fahrenheit and up. If you can go about four to five seconds, then you're at medium heat. And then low he uh, medium would be around six to seven seconds. So that's probably the better way to test to see if your grill is ready, depending on what you're cooking. Of course, if you're going to be cooking something like a steak, you want to make sure it's on a high or if you're cooking uh, chicken, like chicken thighs, that's something with you know a bone in there. You're going to want to cook a little bit medium heat as well. The internet is great for barbecue tips, by the way. That's where I go for for learning new recipes and and tricks on the grill. Uh, it is really cool to do uh, to 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 learn this. I mean, it is a real craft. As more people dig into um, all of this, okay. So when everyone, not everybody, is a barbecue master. So you just said going online. How do we really get in started then for the people who have always said, you know, I've never really wanted to, or I'm only in an apartment. We're allowed to have a little small one, a little one pound tank on it or something like that. Where do we go? Well, 
basically you have to choose what kind of barbecue you want. And you just mentioned you have a natural gas barbecue and which is fantastic if you have a natural gas line uh, in your home. So I don't, uh, but natural gas is actually really, really cheap compared to propane. And the great part of natural gas, and you can ask anybody who has a propane tank, is you never run out of fuel because anybody who has a propane barbecue knows at some point in time you're cooking and all of a sudden the tank runs out and now mm -hmm. you're running to the gas station to, to uh, fill it up. So Bad you party host. Yeah. You don't have that problem um, with your, with your barbecue. Yeah. I also don't have friends, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> so another thing I think a lot of people should do while you're barbecuing is set up your outdoor patio to make it like for high tech entertainment. And um, I'm surprised a lot of people don't do that. You know, you have smart speakers if you have a covered area, you should actually install one of them there because nothing is better than being on the grill and be able to summon music and do it completely hands-free. Fun. I, um, I, I mean, you see it in the trailers more and more and yes. more too, right? So it is, it's a great way to, um, it is a great way to entertain. I love this idea. So how do we do it? What's the best way? How do we entertain? Do we have TVs inside the hot tubs still? Are we going to do that? How do we, you know, like, how do we set up the backyard party? I'm all about um, installing TVs in your backyard patio. Actually, I did it myself because my neighbor, he had told me, he goes, you know, I have this friend, he refurbishes TVs. I can get you a 55 inch for $100. And I'm like, wow. what? He goes, yeah, a flat inch, $100. So I happened to have $100. I gave it to him. Next day, he gave me a TV. I was like, all right, let's uh, see if this works out in the elements. So my deck is covered and I installed it out there using an outdoor TV mount. And it's been two years. And the thing is still there and it still works. And the thing about televisions is they're so inexpensive. You could go on Facebook Marketplace or Kijiji and Craigslist and pick one up relatively cheap. Put one in your back patio. You hook up one of those little Google Chromecasts onto there and then say mm -hmm. you have a Google Nest a smart speaker. Now you can summon YouTube videos or even Netflix all completely voice activated. That's what I call, Shane, Netflix and Grill. It is really, really cool. It's a great way to impress your friends. When you can turn the TV on, turn Netflix on, and do it all while you're cooking and flipping burgers. I am, it's pretty cool. It's possible. Trust me. I do it all the time, every summer. What's, um, all right, so what's the grilling music then, Andy? Uh, grilling music? I actually I watch YouTube videos of guys grilling while I'm grilling. So I'll find the exact same thing. Just in case, you know. If I can learn a little bit of tips or tricks, uh, a lot of grill masters. I don't, I don't you know, pretend to be one of those guys who can, you know, consider like a grill master, but I'm definitely grilling a lot. And like sometimes in the, in the wintertime, I'm still grilling. Um, mm. Oh, and that's the best accessory is you can get these magnetic grill lights so you can grill mm. at night. They're, they're awesome. They're magnetic. So you put them right on top of the lid. And they're LED, so you can use them forever before they need a charge. It's a must-have accessory if you like to grill late into the evening and at nighttime. Uh, those ones are built in in the handle of mine, but keep in mind that it was I did not buy it so much as it was a gift for me from when I was married from my wife, which she bought on my credit card. And uh, so I guess I kind of still bought it. So <laughs> Now, what, what kind of grill brush do you use? Because there's a big controversy on uh, grill brushes yeah, because I still some of have them a wire brush. Out. Yeah, a wire I have a brush? wire brush, and it's very, very dangerous because you do find them inside the grill. The wires come out, but at the same time, um, I just have the brush, so I don't need another one yet. I'm just very aware of it. But yeah, my next one will not be a wire brush. It can't be. I mean, those things come out like crazy. I remember as a kid, I stepped on one once uh, because of the. Uh, it was like a wood burning grill. Uh, just sort of on someone's patio and those little wires had fallen out of the brushes and I got like a splinter from it. So, you know, those kinds of things are, they are very, very dangerous. In fact, which by the way, I would recommend, I don't have one. It is on my dream bucket list would be a wood fired grill, like a hardwood fired, like those pizza domes and those proper yeah. stone, hot stone grills. That's absolutely on my, um, on my hit list. Andy Barrar, where does everyone go to find out your blog pieces? 
Uh, go to my website, handyandymedia.com. I also have a YouTube channel with a lot of DIY and tech content. Uh, I've been working on this community garden. So this week, I'm going to be putting a huge, giant uh, sunflower that I've been growing indoors. It's only three feet tall. I'm going to be putting that outside. Maybe every week, I'll take pictures so nice. people can watch this thing. I'm going to make it 10 feet. I even got mushroom manure ready to go to feed this nice. baby. It's my, it's my LeBron. I call it LeBron. This is The Shift Podcast. I'm Shane Hewitt. Ryan O'Donnell's here. Matt MacArthur, too. Are you okay with following the rules? Uh, yeah, especially when it's very important to do so. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's uh, you got to do what you got to do for the betterment of society, man. Let's keep society going. For the greater good. The greater good. good. I saw a path today. And at the end of the path was a big post. So nobody would drive their car down the path. Right? And I thought that post is there for a reason because some bonehead wanted to take a shortcut. So I'm not okay with rules unless there is a consequence to the rules. I am okay with personal responsibility and accountability. And I think that rules... Um, are there because we need them, but there needs to be accountability to it. So don't put rules in place unless there's going to be accountability to the rules. That's my personal opinion to all of it. A Toronto family is criticizing Canada's hotel quarantine program after a man who spent $1,500 to stay in Toronto quarantine hotel got COVID-19 anyway, infecting his whole family. According to CP24, Syed Hader's father checked into the Sheraton in Toronto After he landed there, and like many people, staying at hotel quarantines over the last few weeks, he had issues. He alleged the hotel's hot water wasn't working and the phones were down. He said other issues with cleanliness uh, as well. He had quite a lot of visitors from the, uh, he had quite a lot of visitors from the hotel itself because there were so many issues, like maintenance folks. On the night of March 5th, Shaw's airport test came back negative when he got there. Officials cleared him to leave, billing him $1,546.56 for staying there. Five days later, Shaw's two sons, daughter and wife, began to show symptoms consistent with COVID-19. The family survived the virus. Toronto Associate Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Vanita Duby, said that due to the volume of cases detected in Toronto each day, now amounting to more than a 1,000, which is way more than that, um, Toronto Public Health uh, is, or sorry, that was Ontario, way more than a 1,000, is not pursuing all identified contacts for those cases in every instance. They are the only ones having a tough time with Canada's quarantine. Here's a report from February from Global News. I would call it a boondoggle. Ray Truesdale knew this would be a bumpy business trip. On Wednesday, he arrived from Tennessee to Toronto. Per Canada's new rules, he was tested for COVID-19 on arrival and quarantined at an airport hotel pending the results. Truesdale lives with diabetes and says he was told meals would be delivered to his room. But after nearly 24 hours, he says he still hadn't received any food. And nobody answers the phone. So I went down to the lobby. When I opened the doors, it was incredible. He recorded this video of hangry hotel guests. I understand that. Packed in the lobby, shouting at staff. They were screaming. I thought they were going to lynch the manager. Truesdale eventually received some toast and a message that his COVID test sample had been damaged and he needed another. But there's nothing on there that tells you where what to do. So what do I do? Who do I contact? So Truesdale left his room again, returned to the airport to receive another test. Social media is flooded with similar accounts from travelers waiting on hold for hours, forced to pay premium prices with little or no food. We're not trying to punish people. We're trying to keep people safe. Okay. um, I know people who are business people who literally have walked out of the airport. And I have another business person friend who said that one of all the trips back into Canada, uh, there has been somebody there. In this particular case, the story that we got us here with the Are You Okay was a person who followed all the rules, was clear of COVID, got to the airport, and based on what they know, believes they actually caught COVID at the airport. So how's that? Crazy. Okay. 
Uh, it's not working. Which, by the way, uh, people are flying to Buffalo and taking a taxi across. <laughs> like, come on. It's crazy. They're making all kinds of trips a day across the border with, with that. You know, that's just it. You just take a taxi. It's mind blowing. All right. Are you okay? Are you okay with Ted Nugent? Oh, man. Listen, <laughs> I've gotten a lot of flack from my bandmates for being into Ted Nugent. You know, I mean, you know, Cat Scratch Fever, Stormtroopin', Stranglehold, Snakeskin Cowboys, Cruisin', Wang Dang Sweet, you know what? Like, the man rocks. The man rocks, and he can shred, and, and he's really funny and really charismatic. He really, really enjoys being opinionated. Like, yes. so opinionated. Like, he loves it. You can tell he gets so much joy out of just, like, throwing down his really inflexible American opinion. But well... I was just going to say, let's, let's, let's take that, Matt, and that passion you have, and let's do this, and then you can reevaluate and let us know. Okay, but man, the guy can shred. You know, I, I guess I would ask you, because I'm addicted to truth, logic, and common sense, and my common sense meter would demand the answer to, why weren't we shut down for COVID-1 through 18? There was a COVID-1, and there was a covid Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. COVID one through eighteen didn't shut anything down, but whoa, COVID nineteen. Even though it's ninety nine point eight percent survivable, why didn't we shut down for the AIDS epidemic, or or the flu, or the Spanish flu, or the the bird flu, or the West Nile flu, or influenza every year? They claim five hundred thousand people have died from COVID nineteen. Bullshit. Well, uh, you know, he's, he's a musician, so at least, you know, he can count. Hurt. <laughs> uh, just to be clear, they did shut down uh, at the time for the Spanish flu, too. Yeah, they did. Um, with masks. And um, and also, to be clear, uh... <laughs> all right, it's called COVID-19 because the year it was discovered. There's no COVID-1 to 18, okay? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... SARS-CoV-2 was discovered in COVID-19 or discovered in 2019. That's why it's called COVID-19. So Ted, uh, there's, there is no one to 18, um, as he describes there. So according to Fox, Nugent, an avid gun rights advocate who made several public appearances at events supporting Donald Trump when he was president made several other misleading claims about the pandemic. There was a very large few right there, including its survival rate. Uh, which is also uh, not the case, and how public health officials have classified specific cases. So um, there's your passion for for things, Matt. <laughs> I mean, that's I mean, that's kind of why I love the Motor City Madman. Is you know he is addicted to truth and logic and common sense, not necessarily research, but I, you know his passion. Research, yeah. But if you're going to have an opinion, you're supposed to do a little bit of research. The yes. question was, what happened to COVID one to eighteen? Yeah, that's where he <laughs> beautiful. Like that is <laughs> that's the painful that's thing there. I uh mm. what do you even say? Oh, uh, hey buddy, I got some bad news for you. You probably should have looked that one up. <laughs> I'm sure he's getting an earful of it right now, but man, oh I'm just you know, maybe just stick to shredding. I don't know. But stick stick to shredding. I just I love his passion. That's that's where I'm at. All right, we have uh, this one last quick are you okay here before we're done. Are you okay? With Bond villains. Ooh. Yes. Yes. Money yes. penny. Yes, I am. Absolutely, I am. I love Bond villains. All of them, especially Goldfinger. <laughs> no, I expect you to die. <laughs> no, Mr. Bond. Yeah, exactly. Russian President Vladimir Putin is well on his way to becoming a Bond villain. Uh, what was once a modest holiday home near the Black Sea in Russia is now a magnificent, massive compound. Fit for a king. It looks like a castle. According to the BBC, the massive wrought iron gates into the courtyard are topped with golden imperial eagles. Uh, outside are formal gardens, private theater, landing pad with bays for three helicopters, and accommodation for security guards. But who owns it? Kremlin critic Alexei Navalny released a two-hour video investigation into the complex, saying the palace was built for Russian President Vladimir Putin using taxpayer money. And, of course, the Kremlin has denied the allegations. Google it. It's amazing. Here's more from DW News. 
They're calling it the new Versailles. In the two-hour video, Navalny explains how his anti-corruption foundation had been able to film the property from above for the first time, using a drone. He says there's nothing like it anywhere in the country. Without exaggeration, it is the most secretive and guarded facility in Russia. It isn't a country house or a residence. It's an entire city, or rather a kingdom. It has impregnable fences, its own harbour, guards, church, its own checkpoint, no-fly zone, and even its own border point. It is a separate state inside Russia. Details of the palace were leaked by construction workers said to be shocked at its opulence. Among its many features, this green mound is reported to house an underground ice hockey rink. Navalny points out the exit of a tunnel used by Putin to access the beach. He also emphasizes not just the size of the palace, but also the vastness of the area it occupies, which is three and a half times the size of the nearest city. Well, if it has an underground ice rink, then yeah, fine. I'm good <laughs> Count with it. me in. Yeah. <laughs> you know who you won't see there? Ted Nugent. Oh. Ted Nugent. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.